really tried to start diversifying my relationship with nature and going from this um, person who's on the sidelines watching everything happening to actively engaging a bit more. And what I mean by that is this year, for the first time, I um, dove into the world of hunting, which I've never done before. I didn't grow up in a hunting family. Welcome so. to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm your host, Byron Pace. It is the 6th of January, 2022, which makes this the first show of 2022. Uh, but it's not only the first show, it's the first show in a new series, which is going to be running for at least the first six months of this year. Uh, we're going back to having a show out every two weeks. Um, so one of those shows once a month is going to be this series, which is the Living with Nature series. Uh, which is being presented by Swarovski Optics. Um, basically, the premise is pretty simple. We have five questions, which are a set five questions that I ask my guests every time they come in to be interviewed, uh, which is all about their connection with nature. And we kick off this first show with the person who kind of spearheaded this idea that came came to me and the team at Modern Huntsman and said, I want to do this. I want to speak about how people connect with nature because I think this is really important. So Ben Lizdas, uh, who is the business development manager for Swarovski Optic in North America, is going to be the first guest. And he is going to talk about why we're doing this series. And then I'm going to put him through the five questions. And there's some fantastic insights here from him and you get to hear about his first experience hunting so i'm excited to kick off this year with this series uh the next shows you're going to hear and i'm going to give you just a very quick rundown of what last year was like and why things were a little sporadic with the podcast because it was a really crazy busy year um despite the global chaos of COVID-19. Um, but the next three or four episodes, which are not this series, are going to be, uh, I'm going to take you into the field. I'm going to take you to Mozambique and you're going to hear about this incredible relocation project to reintroduce 12 cheetahs to an area called Katada 11, um, which is in Mozambique, which increased the cheetah range in Africa by 30%. It's an amazing story. We cover that story in the latest volume of Modern Huntsman, which you can now go and purchase, which is dedicated to the continent of Africa, wildlife and conservation, and the great people who are trying to hold on to those last vestiges of wild places, which are increasingly under threat over there. As I'm recording this, I am actually at home, which is, was barely the case last year. I am sitting at my desk uh, it is snowing outside my desk in Scotland, that is, in my office. The fire is on. It's very cozy. But I'm staring down the barrel of processing a whole heap of projects that were filmed and, and photographed and recorded last year. The year started, and I was in the States at the start of the year. Um, I was halfway through doing my master's course at Edinburgh University. Um, in conservation, which I finished the first year of in July, writing some of those papers in the top of an anti-poaching tower because <laughs> I was filming uh, when the semester finished. We put together and put out The Water Issue, which was volume seven of Modern Huntsman, which was an incredible volume. Uh, when I came back from the States, I was working on a project for the Atlantic Salmon Trust, all about salmon conservation. Those films are out there, actually. I'm going to start putting them on social in uh, the coming weeks, but they've been out for about six months. But if you go on the Atlantic Salmon Trust channel on YouTube, you can watch that. 
there's a longer film uh, with Robson Green and Jim Murray, and then there's two shorter films, about seven or eight minutes, that talk about the two tracking projects uh, that they were doing. There's these salmon tracking projects, one on the east coast of Scotland, one on the west coast of Scotland. Um, and I'm actually going to be putting together some uh, podcasts with some of the scientists behind those projects probably in the next six months. From there, uh, I was back in Africa doing some work for the Endangered Species Protection Agency in Eswatini, which is was formerly known as Swaziland. Um, that film is actually finished and should be releasing in the next couple of weeks, I believe. It's just going through the last sort of bit of approval. And it was all about anti-poaching and the work going on there, basically, primarily focused on protecting rhinos. Um, once we finished in Eswatini, I, some of you might remember me talking about a project I started in late 2019, which was tracking a, an elephant relocation from Namibia um, all the way to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Well, I was unable to go and finish filming that because the world locked down with COVID, so I couldn't film it in 2022. Um, so after finishing in Eswatini, I went back to Namibia, um, saw my friends Alex and Netta Olofsson. Uh, did all the interviews that was required and all of the pickup shots. So I now am sitting with eight terabytes of footage on my desk and I need to start putting that film together and actually sourcing some funding funding for that film because that was a, a personal project um, and it's probably one of the most incredible stories I've ever had the opportunity to tell. So keep an eye out on social for some snippets of that and uh, ways that we're going to go and try and fund that project. And then lastly, before I left Africa, uh, was the trip to Mozambique, which is what I just mentioned. And that was to capture some footage, but we weren't really doing the primary filming there. The primary filming was done by the Conservation Film Company and our friends there. In fact, the film for that has just been released, or one of the films. Uh, it's called 12 Cheetahs. It's also on YouTube. You should go and check it out because it's amazing. But we were taking photographs and understanding the story around Cotado 11 and the whole relocation project, which has been uh, primarily funded by the Cabela Family Foundation. So you can read about that in the latest volume of Modern Huntsman, which is volume eight. So if you go over to modernhuntsman.com, you can go and order volume eight. Now, it is one of the biggest spreads in that volume, and it's such a privilege to be able to tell that story. Uh, I then actually came home and I managed to do a little bit of hunting at home with some friends, which was really nice, um, catch up on life a little bit before doing the very last project. And I'm pretty sure I've missed some stuff out here, um, but the very last project of 2021, which I can't really talk about too much, but I was in Tajikistan um, filming for eight or nine days and came back just before Christmas. And while that was kind of going on, that was at the tail end of us finishing the Africa volume. And I'm going to talk more about the Africa volume uh, probably at the start of another podcast, but it has been maybe not quite a lifetime ambition of mine, but certainly for the last decade or so. The same is true of Tyler Sharp, who's the editor-in-chief of Modern Huntsman, was to put an African volume together to tell African stories from African voices. And finally, after a decade, that possibility has come to fruition. So I really hope that you can get your hands on that volume and I'd love to hear some feedback on it. So I tell you all of that just so that you can get an idea of kind of what I was up to in 2021 because I have been a little quiet on social. I have been very quiet on the podcast, but it is just, it's mostly been lack of time and a little bit just being a bit burnt out from doing this for so long. Um, 
I've probably done more in the last year than in terms of projects and 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 in terms of the quality of projects I think that I've been working on and the importance of them than any of the previous years, but there just hasn't really been a lot of time to talk about them. But 2022 is shaping up to be another great year with some really fascinating projects kind of in the works. A lot of them are kind of 50-50 whether they're going to come off, Um, but I'm excited for the year ahead. And I hope that all of you are too. I know that the last two years have been particularly hard for pretty much everybody. So let's hope we can pull out of this and get back to some form of normality. Now, the last thing that I would like to do before we jump into the show is give a shout out to the Patreon supporters who help make the show possible. Now, normally I only shout out the top tier names, but since it's the first show of 2022 and we're getting back into a new rhythm and this is the first episode of this new series presented by Swarovski Optics. I thought I would read out all of the current Patreon supporters just as a thank you, and then we're going to jump into this interview with Ben. So in no particular order, and some of these people I don't actually have their surname for, so uh, apologies, but uh, Jen, Paul, Colin Knight, James Marchington, Richard McNeil, Ronnie Speakman, Thomas Cameron, Mark Zabrowski, Tom McCraith, Josh Starling, Andreas Olin, Ryan McDowell, Jens Haig, Matthew Nibb, Richard Barker, Pat May, Devin Strayton, Edward Keane, Ellen Freeman, Eric Spicer, Jeff Kennedy, Rob Nelson, Will Hignett, Zach Buckaloo, Omid Alakanzade, I apologize if I just butchered your surname, Alex Cutts, Andrew Gregovich, Andrew Keevy, Dan Connors, Dermot Long, Eric Stewart, Fenella Lloyd, and lastly, Nick. So thank you very much to every single one of you. It really helps. If you would like to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash Byron Pace. Ben, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast and our Living with Nature series, which is being presented by Swarovski. And this was spawned out of a conversation that you, myself, and Tyler at Modern Huntsman had some months ago now. And this is going to be the very first episode of this whole series of conversations that we have with fascinating people from biologists to adventurers all around the world and how they live and connect with nature. But why did you want to undertake this in the first place? Why was it like important for you and important for Swarovski as a company to have these conversations? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I really am grateful for the chance to be on this podcast. It's fantastic. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll start a little bit with how I came to be at Swarovski. You know, I have this background in birdwatching. Um, for about 20-some years, I worked in the birdwatching industry. And I always knew Swarovski as a brand of optics for bird watchers. This is Swarovski Optic, of course. And then they also have this division of their company that is really kind of in the hunting market, which a lot of the hunters are familiar with. So birders and hunters. And when I started working for them a couple of years ago, I realized that there's this kind of core ethos to the brand, which is this reverence of, for nature. Um, one of the sayings in the company that is really kind of our, our main um, kind of our North star is, you know, we say for the love of nature. So, you know, looking at the relationships that hunters and bird watchers have with nature and realizing it's rich, but it really kind of goes beyond just those two demographics of types of people. Anyone who enjoys the outdoors can really have, um, this love of nature. So hearing stories from people who have these diverse relationships with the outdoors, with wildlife, 
um, be it in hunting or birding, whether it's chefs dealing with food, um, you know, artists who are inspired by it, writers. It's something that I think is this really rich tapestry that isn't explored often enough. Um, and, and so collaborating with folks like you who have this great storytelling capability to kind of put forth some of these stories, the, the stories of these people who are really inspiring. Um, you know, it's my hope that this series creates, you know, inspiration to get people outdoors, to get people to spend time slowly in nature, seeing the things around them, observing things, taking it all in. Well, we certainly have some very inspirational people lined up in the coming weeks. Uh, so the premise of this, for the because this is the first time that the listeners are hearing about this series, um, is that we have five questions, and each one of the guests is going to be asked the same five questions. And I'm incredibly grateful for um, the support for Swarovski to be able to do this kind of show, because I, I think that having these discussions with people tackling the same question but getting such a variety of answers and i know from having done quite a lot of these already i think really opens your well it's opened my mind and i'm sure it will open listeners mind as to the, the possibilities out there and how people get different things from the great outdoors so i, I think with that let's kick off with the the first question which is how the how do you ben connect with nature on a regular basis yeah. And, you know, and, and this is the kind of thing where, you know, nature is a big word, obviously. Yeah, and then you look at the outdoors and spending time outdoors. And, and obviously the first thing that comes to mind is, is bird watching. I spent a lot of time bird watching, but really I would say the, the, the way that I connect with nature most, which ties into birding is to just um, sitting in it, just going places and being still and watching what's around me. Being an observer of things is really how I connect with nature. Sometimes it can be going on a slow walk sometimes without any intentions. You know, I'm always bringing binoculars with me, but maybe I'm not bird watching in particular. Um, you know, maybe I'm uh, even just doing a, you know, casual cross country ski or, or something like that, but spending time outdoors and being really present while I'm there and observing what I'm or what's around me is really how I connect with nature. I've also really tried to start diversifying my relationship with nature and going from this um, person who's on the sidelines watching everything happening to actively engaging a bit more. And what I mean by that is this year, for the first time, I um, dove into the world of hunting, which I've never done before. I didn't grow up in a hunting family. So um, jumping in as a uh, as someone who's been observing nature for so long and then becoming an active participant in the things that are happening, you know, uh, engaging with wildlife, if you will, harvesting wildlife, that was a really new step for me this year. And, um, something that really gave me, uh, an appreciation for, you know, the tradition of hunting. How did that kind of change your relationship with how you view the world of nature around you, like making that shift and doing that this year. What kind of hunting did you do as a, as a first step through that door? Yeah, I went, um, I went on a mentored hunt with this outfit called the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. Um, so this is in, in down in Texas. We went on a hunt. I, it was a white tailed deer and hog, wild hog. And 
it was really interesting. I'm, I'm in the blind with my mentor. And you, as you probably know, a good part of hunting is just sitting and watching, which is what I've always done with bird watching. I'm pointing out all these birds to this individual who's next to me and saying, oh, look, you know, there's, there's a green jay over there. There's a oak titmouse over there. Um, you know, Harris's hawk. And I'm just calling out all these birds and, and just really taking in the whole ecosystem. And then of course, it comes down to, you know, then an animal comes out, uh, you know, a, 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 the first animal I shot was a white-tailed deer, a doe. And to have that position shift of just watching things to all of a sudden taking something out of nature um, was pretty profound. And, you know, my background is in restoration ecology, uh, habitat management, and I understood the role of wildlife management and sustainable populations. And I knew that there was a part of hunting that was very much in harmony with nature. So to have a to have a, a role in nature as a hunter that was um, in harmony with the ecosystem and, and sustainability. And certainly, I come from you know I, I love cooking. I come from a, a from a long tradition of like foodies, if you will. And so, getting into the, that element of it was kind of a logical gateway. Well, that's a know, whole to, new realm, it, actually, like harvesting your own meat. It is. As it's someone a, who loves to cook. Whole, yes, exactly, exactly. And that was really my, I mean, my motivation in getting into hunting was twofold. One was just to understand it and to put myself in the shoes of of um, one of our company's kind of core consumer demographics, but also um, to have that relationship with the food I'm eating. I've always been an avid gardener. I've uh, always enjoyed fishing. So hunting was really a next step. And uh, yeah, that opportunity in Texas allowed me to kind of open that door and walk through there. And it, it was, it was fascinating. And, and uh, I look forward to, you know, more opportunities like that. It, that's definitely a journey you want to continue on. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to um, the, I'm a hundred percent into it for the food. So um, hunting for the sake of hunting um, doesn't appeal to me so much. And certainly, you know, anything that you'd kind of consider to be trophy hunting that, that doesn't appeal to me so much, but being able to see my life being inserted into this, um, you know, into this natural ecosystem where I can essentially get sustenance from it in a way that is sustainable in a way that, um, is good for the environment and, uh, benefits me and my family that there's nothing not to love there. Right. That's fantastic. Well, that's incredible. I'm I'm so (laughs) pleased that you had a really positive first experience. Um, it was, and yeah, you know, uh, shout out, shout out to the the folks at the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation for having such a strong um, mentored hunting program and really approaching it. I think in a way that um, opens those doors up to a diverse group of people. You know, um, there were you know all sorts of. Uh, you know, different people on, on this mentored hunt, um, men, women, people from different ethnic backgrounds, um, mostly younger folks. And it was, it was great to have that on-ramp into hunting with, um, people who were really respectful of the animals, respectful of the land and had a reverence for the process. Brilliant. To question two, 
Um, do you have any good examples of how companies or people or organizations have helped to, and this kind of goes to what you've been talking about there, actually, rebuild that bridge and connection between people and nature. We talk so much about this this disconnect or decoupling uh, between people, yeah. humans, and this big world outside and all the rest of the living things on this planet. And a lot of that is because of yeah. urbanization. Uh, have you got any good examples of how those connections are being rebuilt? You know, well, and, and of course, I have to go back to Swarovski Optic here as a company that um, really is rooted in nature observation, right? We make instruments and tools for watching nature. And um, I think that what I find inspiring is this movement towards getting people to slow down, relax. I like to think of, of um, nature observation as slow nature. You know, we interact with the outdoors in so many different ways. I like skiing. I like mountain biking. But when I'm just sitting still and watching, that's when the complexity of nature unfolds. That's where the beauty of nature is. So, you know, I, I think that the work that Swarovski is doing to open up um, nature observation to wider audiences and really emphasizing, you know, the, the beauty of nature is, um, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's something I feel really good about doing. It's interesting. You mentioned just kind of at the beginning about being in the outdoors and just, just observing, and you've always got a pair of binoculars with you, which makes perfect sense as a birder. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting that so I started, I, I I always have one of two things. I, I very rarely carry both at the same time, although increasingly now with the new binos I have because they're smaller, I do carry both at the same time because I'm always filming or f doing photography. Mm -hmm. But when, uh, as a hunter, if I'm not doing those things, I will always have a pair of binoculars on me. It's just, it's like going out of the, the, the house with your rifle I wouldn't leave without the rifle if I was going hunting. I also wouldn't leave without a pair of binoculars. But you do actually gain so much more. I think you only realize that when you don't have them anymore. So I might go and like walk the dog and, and not have them for whatever reason. I haven't picked them off the back of my door. And you'll see a, a dipper mm -hmm. down on, on the river where I walk the dog and think, ah, I would have got so much more out of that experience if I could just been that little bit closer so that I could see the water dripping off its beak as it's dipped its head into the water. So I would encourage people to, whatever optics it is that you have, make sure that you take them. Like take them when you leave your house because you will get you so know, much more out of your interaction with nature. It's interesting, Byron. I mean, I never got into bird watching until I had, or I already had access to really good binoculars. It wasn't yeah. my love of birding that got me into this um, field of sport optics. I was a a plant ecology ecosystem kind of guy. Um, and I didn't really start appreciating the birds until I had access to two things. One was high quality binoculars because I think so many people have disappointing experiences with optics <laughs> um, yeah. because they, they aren't using very good binoculars. And, and we all know there's a, a plethora of binoculars out there that are just unsatisfying to use. And um, so having access to good equipment where I could see details, I could see resolution, I could see color, all of a sudden made me realize, oh, there aren't just sparrows. There are Leconte sparrows. There's chipping sparrows. There, it, it, as soon as you can start seeing this detail and the complexity in these things, it's wonderful. And then also having 
you know, working in a company that w- was selling optics to bird watchers, having access to really good bird watchers, having expertise and mentors mm-hmm. available. So having the equipment though was, was what allowed me to become a birder. I didn't come to birding. And then, um, I, I didn't come into binoculars as a birder. I almost came into, um, birding as a binocular person. <laughs> To the next question, is there a conservation story happening right now or has happened, you know, say, in the last six months that mm-hmm. you are particularly passionate about that you could tell people about? <laughs> this, was, this was one of those questions I struggled with because um, you, there are a ton of conservation stories out there, for better yeah. or for worse. I mean, the, you know, the, the fact that there are a ton of conservation stories out there, in a way, is kind of heartbreaking. Um, because there's a lot of work to be done, you know, whether you're looking at, you know, what's going on with pollinators and something like the Carner blue butterfly here in Wisconsin, or I think of um, Kirtland warbler, you know, reintroductions and habitat expansion or greater prairie chicken conservation, or looking at the dry prairies here in Wisconsin, which are, which are scarce. These, these are all worthwhile conservation stories, but what, what I'm passionate about is probably not so much the the details and and the, and the science behind them and the the efforts that folks are putting forward, but really, it's the storytelling that I find really gets me excited. I think that is the place where we need to essentially, um, you know, bring this awareness of of the richness of nature, the diversity, the complexity of it, and all of this ties into the conservation. But I think that storytelling is what excites me. And that's one of the things that I really like about the work that you and Tyler and everyone else at Modern Huntsman do. It's you're, you're such fantastic storytellers. And to me, getting that inspiration out there, telling the story is essentially assists all the conservation work that happens. But a, a particular conservation project, there's so many of them, it's hard to to get passionate about one, but I, I, I get most passionate really about people who are, um, creating inspiration through, through storytelling. That to me is, um, where it, where it's at. And do you think, is that because you see that as the vehicle to drive change? I see it as the vehicle to drive change. I see it as a way of taking you know, conservation, so much about conservation is about science and understanding the science and the nuts and bolts of certain ecosystems and the relationships that, you know, species will have amongst one another. And that can be really dry stuff. And I come from a science background. I studied science um, in college and I, you know, practice restoration ecology. And I, and I, I understand that. But I think for conservation to be successful, there has to be accessibility and there has to be understanding and, and, and appreciation of what's going on to a broader audience. And that's where I think the storytellers and the artists come into place where the scientists are. And, and, and some of my, some of the people that I admire most do those things. They're storytellers and they're scientists. I think of someone like, you know, Jane Goodall, um, you know, someone who not just understood the science, but really could champion the cause through storytelling. Um, and I think of, uh, another friend of mine, Drew Lanham, who I think you you had a, on this podcast, yeah. who who is someone who I find incredibly inspiring because not only is he a um, wildlife ecologist and an ornithologist, you know, he's got those ologist titles to him. He's a professor, but he's a poet. 
He's an author. He's an amazing speaker. And so it's the storytelling that I think is really what is kind of like the, the fuel for conservation to go beyond the scientific community where people can look at the data, they can look at the numbers and they can see this is why this is a problem. But the storytellers are the ones who are creating the connection, not just the connection between people and nature, but even, you know, broader connections between hunters and bird watchers and outdoor recreationists. There, all this connection needs to be made. And I think it's the storytellers that really um, can do that best. Well, that is that, that is basically what I wake up trying to do every day is storytelling. And I, I love the process of taking quite complicated, sometimes controversial stories. And I have a deep love of, of the science that, that is the foundation of so much of that and trying my best to put that in a way that people can consume it and be enthused by it and, and take something from it and carry it on in a positive manner, whether that be in the written word, whether that be a conversation with somebody who's particularly insightful that I'm kind of doing, hosting the interview, or particularly with film, which is another passion of mine, like using these moving pictures mm -hmm. to tell a story and carry a narrative forward so that it can make a difference so yeah i i understand and, what you're saying there and i i love the fact that that i think so many well i think almost every everyone else has picked one particular thing but you've picked something that is is very broad and all-encompassing well and, and i think that's kind of what i wanted to get at with this podcast series too is i wanted to hear people's stories um and the idea was not necessarily to create awareness around a conservation topic, but was to create a general inspiration for getting to know nature a little bit better. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I remember kind of the, the pivot where I first started really appreciating nature was when I started seeing the beauty and its complexity. When the woods or the forest no longer became the forest, it became a mix of ash and shagbark hickory and red oak and dogwood where i could see the tapestry of it and all the detail of things and that complexity is where a lot of the beauty was and from a science perspective you can study ecology and you can start seeing this and we have ways of measuring it and quantifying it and putting it in these dry papers but um once again it's the people who can recognize this complexity and this beauty but simplify it and present it to a broader audience that I think is um, is just so cool. And I think we need more of that. You may have somewhat touched on this because you mentioned a couple of people who inspire you. But for the next question, it is just that. Is there somebody, you don't even have to necessarily pick one person, who is who inspires you and is doing great work in the outdoors space? Yeah. And I go back to my friend Drew Lanham on that. He's someone I, I got to know Drew as a bird watcher. And, uh, but, uh, the more I got to see, you know, he, he's, he's someone who has this diverse relationship with nature. He's a bird watcher. He's also a hunter. Um, he's close to the land. He has a complete reverence for the outdoors. Um, and he's also someone who is such a wonderful communicator, whether I'm having a conversation with him one-on-one, -on -one, whether I'm seeing him deliver a keynote speech somewhere, reading one of his books, whether it's autobiographical, whether it's a poetry book, he's someone who runs deep in nature. And uh, he has this, uh, he, he brings his unique perspective as a result of 
all of these different ways that he interacts with nature, but also being a person of color and having the a, a more of a complicated relationship with the outdoors in terms of um, you know how uh, people of color are underrepresented in this space, and it's not always the most welcoming things. Um, so it's it's a he really isn't afraid to dive into some of the complex and difficult um, difficult aspects, I guess, of um, being in the outdoors, as well as some of the things that are easy to digest and really inspiring. But uh, yeah, he's someone who um, I've found to be so, so inspiring. Well, that's a great intro for an episode that everyone is going to get to hear pretty soon. So you'll be, everyone will be hearing from you. <laughs> and that brings us to the last question, Ben, which is that, do you have a standout memory of you connecting with nature in, in a maybe like more profound way than you would do on a, on a day-to-day basis? Is there something that really stands out? You know, I, I guess... <sighs> Historically, it's hard to say. I, I do think of the of those moments when I um, transitioned from just being uh, a kid who would just look at the outdoors as being a kind of a monolithic, you know, place to understanding all the various different ecosystems and and through you know my education, seeing the complexity and the granularity of habitat, species, um, geology, geography, all of these different s- systems playing together. And it kind of, you know, goes into this granular study of nature and ecology and then goes back to, and I think of just this past two years that we've had during the pandemic where we've been traveling less um, and, you know, spending less time in restaurants, theaters, you, you know, you, the whole drill, spending more time outdoors. And I, there's a park not too far from where I live called Donald Park. It's a, it's a um, wildlife park. It's not like a, there's no mowed lawns there. It's all um, oak forest, prairie. And I would just go for walks there almost on a daily basis and watching the season, the seasonality kind of, you know, pour through there, the, the, the birds migrating in the spring, going and nesting in the summer, migrating in the fall, the, the leaves changing, the prairie coming into bloom and then dying. And then the seed heads coming all of that, the slowing down of the pan that the pandemic has caused in terms of me traveling less and spending more time at Donald park. That has been, um, a pretty, I was really feeling a pretty phenomenal connection right there with something locally that was um, just a great place to unwind. I mean, you know, so many things are going on in the world at any given moment these days where slowing down and having that intentional time outdoors has really been a great tonic for me in the last two years. And I'm I'm guessing from the way that you've described that, that unless you had kind of been forced by circumstances to slow down and appreciate it a bit more, that is something you might have completely missed. Absolutely. I you know, we've all got things to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always something to do. And the, the, uh, the work list is long. <laughs> exactly. And um nature you spending time outdoors 
is a great way of, I, I always think of during the pandemic, I had to redefine my relationship with productivity and I had to rethink about what productivity was. And I found that um, going for those walks at Donald Park was some of the most productive time I had. You mean it's just in your mind, like the way you were processing information and thoughts or? Exactly. Just the way that it would free me up from anything that I might have been worried about or concerned about or disappointed about. It, it, It almost just unlocked my mind for a period of time. And then I could always go back to the, day, you know, the day-to-day stuff that was still available for us <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, but just with a renewed sense of um, inquisitiveness, interest, you know, being calm, being relaxed. So, you know, I, I was really having this gratitude for having the time and the space to be out there. And I don't think I would have made that time or space for myself if I would have been hopping on airplanes, going to meetings, um, you know, doing the things that, you know, pre pandemic were kind of part of the the work life. Um, And then now as we're kind of getting out and I'm not going to say post pandemic, we can say post vaccination, (laughs) maybe um, now as we're kind of getting out and things are opening up more, I'm still, keeping that habit. I'm still finding the time to get outdoors and just, you know, reconnect and recharge. And, uh, it's been a wonderful, uh, new habit to develop. It is my, it is, has, is definitely a constant for me. If I'm having a problem concentrating, or I just, I just need something that is going to allow me to like get to the next bit of work or solve the next life issue. It is normally (laughs) just to go for a walk outside it's normally with my dog not always um sometimes he'd mm-hmm. rather be sleeping by the fire uh but yeah just get up into the hills or walk along the river for an hour and it's, it, it's it does a it helps a hell of a lot it's a combination i think of movement and fresh air wind sun um temperature fluctuations all of those just just being in the environment uh there's something to be said about all the ways and all the senses that that engages that um, allows, yeah, that, that recharge to happen. For sure. And we are, we are wild animals too. We're just being very tamed. That, that is our environment <laughs> out there. We just have kind of forgotten it. Yeah. Need to get back to that. <laughs> Ben, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for making this possible. This is just the first episode of many. Um, I appreciate your time um, and I appreciate uh, your support to make this happen, this Living With Nature series. Well, you're welcome, Byron. And I really am looking forward to the conversations that are going to um, follow this and uh, grateful to all of the contributors that are um, spent time delivering their perspective on their relationships with nature and really um, embracing the diversity of it all. 